Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. The land is like our mother. We need to take care of it. We live in an ecological system and we're all interconnected. I believe in media. I believe it's a way of communicating. And I believe documentaries and videos I produce, it touches people. This could be a path to world peace. I'm an educator and that's what I try to do. I'm a regional environmental planner who happens to do films, documentaries. Well, first of all, I, mean, I think you have to have a philosophy about what you're doing. Just trying to tell the story and what's happening. Our mission statement is that we try to communicate the important issues that are confronting the 21st century. What we have to do is have a higher objective, a higher purpose. And uh, how can we devote a certain amount of our time to that purpose? It could be supporting an organization. Take a walk on the beach. Listen to the wind. Think about how can I make the world better? Jim Tebow is a Los Angeles-based documentary filmmaker and the president of The Chronicles Group, a nonprofit dedicated to building awareness of the critical issues confronting Earth in the 21st century through media. Jim's distinctive storytelling and visual style first gained international recognition when he directed HBO's The Iceman Tapes, Conversations with a Killer. However, the last two decades of environmental upheaval has demanded he focus on the growing threat and unforeseen impacts of climate change. Since the creation of his nonprofit media company in 2000, Tebow has been making films to raise awareness of the coming global water crisis, food shortages, and the resulting dire effect on international security. Jim has always been an advocate for a sustainable planet, and prior to his career, Jim was a regional environmental planner responsible for numerous environmental impact statements and energy and environmental planning studies in Washington State, Idaho, Oregon, and Alaska. The Chronicles Group catalog of documentaries has awakened and activated a large audience. These titles include Running Dry, The American Southwest, Are We Running Dry, and Beyond the Brink. His latest work, California's Watershed, Beyond the Brink, will air on local PBS affiliates in California in January. Please check your local listings and go to www.beyondthebrink.global for more information. Talking with Jim Tebow today was such a blessing. He's just such a wise, experienced man. And I really appreciate the way he's followed his path of purpose for so many years, 50 plus years of working at the forefront of environmental change. I think that it may be hard to hear it in the audio interview, but if you get the chance to see the video of our interview, which will be on our Instagram page, you'll see that he just carries such a warm-hearted, like joyful, grounded, contented feeling with him. And I just really appreciate getting to share that space with him. It's not too often that you get to talk to somebody who is an expert in their field for 50 years. 
So it was just really incredible. And I think he planted some seeds in me to just look for some small ways in which I can change my relationship with the environment and be more purposeful in the way that I think and act locally. I really respect how informed and dedicated he is. And I think there's times where he may spoke for quite a while or I allowed him to speak for quite a while on you know, some of the details of what we're seeing in the environment. But I hope that you see the underlying message to this, which is dedicate yourself to a cause that matters, a cause that affects us all, and continue to find ways in which your gift can shine and you can allow your purpose to just come through with what you're doing. And I think he really captures and embodies that extremely well. I think he has such a higher purpose that supports the nonprofit he does he allows himself to be like open to receiving funding, which then allows him to travel around the world and develop crews and teams that just really bring him forward. And then near the end, it was just incredible to hear that he's so disciplined that he wakes up at four every morning and he goes to the gym and he makes this point that you really need to take care of yourself and set yourself up to be someone that can be purposeful. Just so many nuggets of wisdom from Jim today. I really hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's interview with today's person of purpose, Jim Tebow. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the People of Purpose podcast today. It's wonderful to have you. You're coming from California and I'm in Thailand right now, a 15-hour time zone difference, but it feels like you're right here. Pleasure to have you on today. My pleasure. So you've had so many more experiences and years to really develop and dig into your purpose. And I think a really exciting reason that I'm having you on the show today is because I want your perspective for young people to be able to like really dive into their purpose and follow that path. And I think the way you've done so is just really commendable. You've started off on an initial journey being an environmental planner, then you've shifted to being a documentary filmmaker. That must entail so many changes and challenges. And now you had a nonprofit and you're just like such a necessary voice in this space for such a pressing issue that we all face. So I just wanted to first thank you. And then I just want to learn from you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So what does it entail to be able to switch from being an environmental planner to a documentary filmmaker? And can you take me into like where you were as a young person making that change? Well, it wasn't that big of a change, actually. When I was at the University of Washington in Seattle, I produced a documentary about comparing Los Angeles to Seattle and whether Seattle was making the same mistakes as Los Angeles. And I've always been gravitated towards the importance of media. And so I acquired the rights to a book, which was a bestseller at the time, called Bury My Heart of Wounded Knee, about the history of American West through the eyes of Native Americans from 1860 to 1890. And, and I finally, got, after doing several environmental studies, I just felt that there was a message that I had to deliver, or I would try to deliver, in terms of the ecological impacts, because that book not only talked about the demise of the Native Americans, it also it was the most incredible land use book I ever read. And that took me to L.A., and I eventually was at, had a deal at uh, Lorimar Productions and set up the, uh, the project at CBS. 
but um, unfortunately, a vice president at CBS said, I don't want to do six hours of Indians getting their ass kicked. So that was the end of the project, and it was the end of an odyssey. But at the same time, it became my, I always think, thought of it as my spiritual grandfather in terms of taking me into the, the world of television and producing. And that kind of launched my whole being. So it wasn't a big jump to go from being an environmental planner to being going in the, in the business. I had to learn the business, of course, and the treachery associated with the business. But it was still, you know, it was a business. And my first step into that was a movie that I produced for CBS called A Deadly Business about organized crime involvement in the toxic waste industry in New Jersey. And uh, I told, it was a true story, and I, it starred Alan Arkin, Armand Asante, and uh, it was critically acclaimed. And then I ended up doing more films about the criminal justice system, which was an interesting experience. Uh, I produced a, a film called The Iceman Tapes Conversation Killer for HBO. And then I produced uh, two hours on the death penalty for A and Arts and Entertainment Network and another two hours on police corruption for the Arts and Entertainment Network. And then I produced it. I worked on a film. I was a producer on a film for ABC News, Turning Point. It was an hour documentary on New York City police corruption. And then it was time for me to move, move back to California. And uh, I produced a two-hour documentary called The Cold War and Beyond about the history of events and decisions that escalated the arms race during the Cold War. And then I connected with former United States Senator Paul Simon, who was a very dynamic U.S. Senator from Illinois, and uh, he had retired, and uh, he wrote a book called Tapped Out about the global water crises. And I connected with Paul, and, and we established a friendship, and I produced a documentary called Running Dry about the global water crisis. And that took me all over the world filming that. And I realized it was basically kind of talked about, it was the beginning of the story that I really want to tell about the potential demise of the planet and the problems of water scarcity and lack of sanitation, food security. And, and that's kind of, it was the beginning of all the work that I've been doing on climate change and water scarcity and that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah, that's quite the trajectory. I love that. I love this term spiritual grandfather. Why have you chosen that term as like that the initial point that sets you into the immersive world of travel and like investigative journalism and documentary filmmaking? What is a spiritual grandfather to you? Well, it's just kind of a general term that I kind of used because I was connected to Native American philosophy. And I just felt that I was being taught, giving it an education about process of getting an education about the business, the entertainment business. And that's kind of why I've always considered it was like a very spiritual thing with me in terms of putting me into that world. I don't know if it's, nobody's ever asked me that question before, but I'm struggling with coming up with an answer, but it's a very spiritual thing with me. Yeah. Do you know the poet Gary Snyder? No, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Yeah, that was another Native American kind of poet philosopher that I was influenced by when I was a little bit younger. Yeah, that's neat. 
so you use that spiritual like grounding to then like set you into kind of doing what's right for the land and then that kind of has over time propelled you into what you truly care about which is about the global like water crisis and the environmental collapse and global climate change is that kind of accurate well you know it's also one of the things that really jumps out at me is the fact that the land is like our mother Mm -hmm. you know we need to take care of it and uh we live in an ecological system and we're all interconnected and that's how it kind of framed my whole philosophy in terms of dealing with these issues that i feel it's really important and i ultimately think that we are entering into the most dangerous period in the history of the world. These next few years are really, really a dangerous time. And if we don't get it together as a planet, I think we're close to ending civilization as we know it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a scary thought. That's awesome that you care about this. Like it's my generation that is going to feel the effects of this for so much time. Like I'm really happy that somebody that has kind of lived through the whole process of like the beginning of our awareness of the issue to where it's now very pressing of an issue. It's really well, excuse me, yeah. but I was kind of want to give a footnote to that is the fact that my very first impact statement I ever wrote, and I graduated from the University of Washington and started working for a landscape architecture firm. And there was a project that required an environmental impact statement. No one had ever done an impact statement before. This wow. was 1972 when the National Environmental Policy Act became a reality. And it's really the most important environmental law I ever passed. And every project that had a significant impact on the quality of the environment, it required an environmental impact statement. And I wrote one. And that was the first experience. And no one had ever written one before. So I had to develop my own methodology on how to evaluate. I mean, I could go into the details about the impact statement as it was done, but it was really a a major project that I had to write an impact statement about. And it was around in Idaho. And the State Department of Highways wanted to build a... Congress had said that every highway in this country had to be a minimum of four lanes, whether it was needed or not. In this highway was going to be proposed to to run out into the Snake River, disrupt habitat for Whistler Swan, go over traces of the Oregon Trail, and was going to build an interchange right in the middle of a wildlife preserve, the Minidoka National Wildlife Refuge. And the guy, I remember standing on a bluff overlooking that whole thing, and he said, you can't stop progress. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this is really progress. Anyway, I wrote, I wrote the impact statement and the project never got built. In fact, they built it many, many miles east. Wow. So your impact statement actually had an impact on the development. Absolutely. I mean, they wanted me to, I mean, they were basically, but they also fired my firm, but there was so much pressure by the Parks and Recreation Department and the state of Idaho, the State Historical Society, all in Idaho. And there was so much pressure on them because of the impact statement that I wrote that uh, politically they couldn't afford to continue doing what they were trying to do. So they rebuilt the entire project in some other occasion. Was it the kind of thing where you were getting a lot of press, like you were having to advocate for your statement and back it up and summarize it to the media and things of this nature? No, I got no press. But I was kind of a hero among a few groups of people because of what I did. 
But that's the way I thought, you know, it is an impact statement. It was a National Environmental Policy Act. It's a sacred trust. And I saw no reason to write an impact statement that justified this crazy highway. <laughs> so why didn't you continue just writing impact statements? Why did you switch into the well, whole? Well, I worked on numerous environmental impact statements up in the Washington state for years. And then I, I decided to uh, try my luck in Hollywood. So I did that for several years. Hmm. In fact, I did an energy policy. I did a project called the Energy 1990 Study, which was very uh, important and consequential in the Northwest. So leaving like where you had had so much impact, like in the Northwest, in Washington, in Idaho, why did you see the next step as like going to Hollywood? How does that play into your evolution of like a you know, environmental hero? Well, I was kind of tired of writing impact statements, and that was first of all. And the second thing was that uh, I just felt like moving. I went to, also went to UCLA, so I mean, I, I knew Southern California. And uh, I believe in media. I believe it's a way of communicating. And I believe documentaries and videos I produce have, you know, people, I don't generate a big audience, but at least it touches people. And I've had a lot of... Uh, interaction with members of Congress in Washington, D.C., and a lot of other elected officials and public officials. And I felt that um, it was really important to have a way of communicating and educating. And I also have presented my films at universities across the world, and I try to reach young people. In fact, this is my new project that I'm working on putting together and it's a mountain to climb. Actually, it's a big project. I'm going to produce 13 or 14 half-hour films for kids in school and then put together a documentary for more like for adults, all based on what my theory is and that we need to pull together as a global society to try to save the planet and implement solutions, which is really important. Right. Why is it that you've decided to focus on younger people? What do you see is the value of putting your attention there? There are future leaders. Yeah. And what's your theory that you want to convey with all these different mediums that you communicate with? Well, my theory is, is that I think that young people already are aware of climate change issues and the repercussions of climate change. We need to change the global narrative. We need to pull together as a global society. We can see the world is in chaos at the moment. And I don't think that's anything new, no information, but it's in chaos. And we need to pull countries together to focus on developing solutions. The U.S. intelligence community has put together a periodic report I first became aware of it when I did my documentary, Running Drive, which I referred to a few moments ago. But they put together a series of reports that's really nonpartisan, very objective, and it's called the Global Trend Studies. And I first used the first one called, it was a Global Trend 2015. It was when I produced the film, Running Dry, in 2005. And they project how they see the future. And right now, I've been developing a production on the global trends 2035 and the predictions by the US intelligence community is dire. Half the world is gonna be water stressed. We're gonna have conflict between countries and there's gonna be water scarcity and food scarcity and the escalation of refugees across the world. 
In 2050, it's projected to have 10 billion people on the planet. And this is a recipe for disaster. Plus the fact that one of the things that came away from looking at my documentary, The Cold War and Beyond, is that at the end of the Cold War, there were over 60,000 nuclear weapons. And now everybody's got them, not just the Soviet Union and the United States. You got China, and all bets are off in terms of Iran. You got members of the European Union that have weapons of mass destruction. North Korea has it. So, I mean, it's a really dangerous time. And India, Pakistan both have capabilities. So, it's just a matter of time before something crazy happens. And when you have all the, the recipe of too many people on the planet, we have food security, food shortages, water shortages. This is in climate change. Look at the fires in Australia right now. California has had fires. I don't know if you saw my film on the California watershed, but it's a microcosm of the world. California has got Mediterranean climate. There are only five regions in the world that have Mediterranean climate. And what's important about that is they are our food baskets. You've got Chile, you've got South Africa, you've got Australia, and then you've got the Mediterranean region. And those are the regions that supply healthy food for the world. And it's also susceptible to fires and water shortages and things of that sort. And that's the reason I've been focusing on California and the San Joaquin Valley, because the San Joaquin Valley is basically the major food basket for the United States and many parts of the world. Yeah, I just lived in that area. I was living in San Francisco, and my graduate school was the University of the Pacific in uh, San Joaquin County in Stockton, California, up there. And I was there for the terrible air pollution that was happening um, around November time because there was just all those fires up just barely north of the bay. And they were coming into there and it was some of the worst air pollution in the world. There were water shortages. Yeah, like it was very eye-opening to like live in a place where it's so smoggy and like smells like a bonfire everywhere because of these fires that are happening and they can't get them under control. And you could imagine that if that spread to you know, more of the world like that, that would be very, very disastrous. There was the LA Times yesterday had a big spread on the fires in Australia. And I did film a few years ago in Australia. And Australia has got the same climate that we have. And that's the same issues that are presenting it. It is a serious time. And I'm very aware my mother lived in Stockton for a while. And I'm very aware of University Pacific. And I don't know, when was it? A year or two ago? Yeah, yeah, I, I graduated last uh, May, so it was last year, so over there. That was really, I mean, I mean, I was driving down Interstate 5. You couldn't even see. You go down Interstate 5. It was really uh, smoky. Everybody in the Bay Area was wearing masks. Oh, yeah, I was wearing a mask for two weeks. It was crazy. And, like, every place was sold out of masks, too. It was, it was a big chore to even find a mask. And Amazon was all sold out, too, at that time to, like, ship people masks. It was really crazy emergency. In my film, California Watershed, I interviewed a refugee from Paradise, and there was 85 people who were killed in that fire. Wow. I mean, they totally wiped out the town. Anyway, they, they all moved to Chico. I mean, that whole town was able to do it, moved to Chico. In a, yeah. There were like 20 or 30,000 people. That moved. How do you transform this narrative of like, you know, 
disaster, dire circumstances to something that is hopeful and uplifting and optimistic? What is your plan or mindset around how to engage people with hope? It's a positive way to kind of generate that hopeful mentality. But there are solutions. And in a way, this could be a path to world peace. I mean, if you can get China and all the major countries in the world to put away their differences and start focusing on uh, regional. In fact, I've felt that they need to stop this current narrative happening right now and change that focus. And I think people are beginning to be aware of the issues associated with uh, climate change. It's clear. I mean, you have to be living in a cave someplace if you don't see the reality of the climate change. And uh, I mean, the example of climate change is what you went through in Stockton, you know, I mean, it's clear. And people from all are beginning to experience these kinds of things. I mean, the droughts in Africa, where people are generating refugees and drought conditions are happening everywhere. And we need to try turning this around. What happens is, in my opinion, and I guess I've been around a few years, is the fact that our leaders, and we could talk about California for a second as an example, but our leaders constantly kick the can down the road in terms of leave it up to your generation or the new generation to deal with these issues. That's got to stop. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living at your purpose? I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30 minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign-up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiance while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month 
Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Elected officials, public officials have got to start implementing. The California water system was built in late 50s, early 60s for 20 million people. It hasn't changed, but we now have 40 million people in the state. It's not adequate. I mean, the watershed needs to be refurbished. I encourage everybody to see my California's watershed. I talk about the history behind that as well. But we've got to deal with these kinds of things. Fire is a natural occurrence in the environment. And that We should love Mother Nature do its thing. But we have to be prepared to allow it to do its thing without having it create a, a firestorm. And that we have need to be, develop, implement solutions. We need to develop solutions for the watershed. We need to develop solutions in terms of water scarcity around the world. I mean, I've been in some dire places, and, and there's all kinds of things that can be done. We need to recycle water. We need to deal with waste, turn it into water. We need to build where it's feasible desalinization. It's in places that can work. We need to develop a regional plan everywhere. I mean, a regional plan. And every location is different, so we need to think locally but also function globally, you know. That's kind of what we have to do. Every place is different. I mean, what may be good for Tel Aviv may not be good for Johannesburg, you know. And that all those kinds of regions need to think globally and to think of in terms of implementing solutions to help their own citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. That's such a motto from my college I went to. I went to like a small liberal arts college where we talked about these kind of issues on a critical level often. It was like the act locally, think globally kind of mindset. It's really helpful. So my podcast is about purpose and it's called People of Purpose because I try to elevate, you know, what people are doing in the world to make the world a better place, how they're finding fulfillment and like this is their life mission, and their life calling. What do you feel like is your purpose within this whole space of the environment? Like, what is it that is your unique gift? What is like the beacon of light that like you want to shine in this space? What is your purpose around the environment? Well, modestly, I, I think what I try to do is uh, is use my body of work and implement uh, implement solutions, but also point them out. I mean, videos and documentaries are the best way to explain. Mm-hmm. different thing. Explain the way things really are. I mean, you actually see it, and I've developed a process to do that. But there are better filmmakers than me. I mean, I'm not the greatest filmmaker necessarily in the world, and I'm the first one to admit it. But I think that my objectives, I need to frame it in such a way as it makes sense. I'm more educator. I'm an educator, mm-hmm. and that's what I try to do. And I'm still a regional planner. I've had people introduce me when I give a talk or something. I'm a regional environmental planner who happens to do films, documentaries. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I think of myself, is I'm still a regional planner. But when I did environmental impact statements, as well as, well as what I do now, I interviewed scientists and engineers and have them kind of explain you know, solutions. And what's the point in doing a documentary on these issues without talking about solutions? Right. Yeah, definitely. 
another overlap we have is I majored in media and cultural studies was my undergraduate and we did plenty of stuff around visual culture and analyzing moving images and documentaries and things like this to uncover what the message is and how they portray that message there's lots of um you know ways in which the camera can train our eye to see a certain thing or emphasize a certain thing or the way that like the light is shining in this stuff so what is it that you have figured out allows the story to be more educational and compelling and informative and engaging? What are some of these things you do with filmmaking? To Well, it's, I can get into the weeds on this kind of thing, uh, but I have, I have a process. First of all, I have a message, which I think is when I did Running Dry, I segue to giving more an example of the American Southwest. And I talked about the Colorado and the seven states that the Colorado you know, provides water, which is California and, and Arizona and Utah and, and all the states and Nevada and everything, but also talked about the impact of climate change on the water, energy, and food nexus because you have the Hoover Dam and we have Lake Mead, who's was the lowest levels of ever in, in Colorado. So we're talking about that issue. And then I segue to the food and energy and water nexus in general and did a documentary on the San Joaquin Valley called Beyond the Brink. It was a 90-minute feature, which is available on Amazon Live, anybody's interested in it, and uh, talk about the food and water nexus. And then I did a follow-up video, which is a shorter version. It's an executive summary. And all my documentaries I do, I put together an executive summary. So maybe somebody doesn't want to wade through a 90-minute documentary. They can see a 20- or 25-minute documentary, a production. And I did a, it was called The Matter of National Security. And then I did one that I presented in China recently called Beyond the Brink, Nexus. And it was about the water, just specifically on the water, energy and food nexus. And then I just did the production on... Uh, California watershed. And I'm going to be doing a follow-up working with uh, Dr. Roger Bales, who is a uh, director of the Sierra Nevada Research Institute. He teaches both at Berkeley and UC Merced. And uh, we're working together on, on this new film. And he's been in my other films as well related. That's really cool. So you have a, like a collaborative aspect. You allow people to have an executive summary, which allows people to engage in a shorter way and then decide if they want to do a longer way. You also tour a little bit. Like you said, you went to China to present your film. I've presented my films all over the world. Yeah. How is that taken when you go and present your film? Do you adapt based on your audience, like think locally or think regionally? Or is there some sort of like primary way in which you present that's effective regardless of the audience? Well, you know, of course, I appreciate the differences in cultures. I had a whole, when I filmed, uh, when I filmed Running Dry, I had different crews for every place I shot. I had a South African crew. I had a Indian crew. A Singapore, I had a, a crew. I, China, I had an all-Chinese crew. And I even filmed in Moscow, interviewed Mikhail Gorbachev in Moscow, and uh, had a Russian crew. So it, I've had the privilege of dealing with, internationally, with crews. And it's amazing how they pick up on what I'm trying to do. And you'll never see me on camera. I would make a rule that I'm not the celebrity on camera. In fact, you'll rarely hear my voice, but you'll see my credit. That's about it. 
and I had uh, one of my first two films that I did uh, called Running Dry in the American Southwest. Running Dry. Actress Jane Seymour was my narrator. But then I decided to move towards not having a narrator because I wanted a more personalized approach. So you kind of cut out the narrator and it really kind of becomes more personal to the audience. They're seeing it, they're hearing the person, and they don't have to have somebody explain to them what's happening. And that, to me, is a really a, a good way to approach it. And that's what I intend to do in the future. Wow, I love that. So if I'm a young person and I'm in college, I'm studying film, and I'm listening to this interview now, and I'm hearing like, you get to go interview Mikhail Gorbachev, you've gotten to go to South Africa, China, you have crews around the world that will put together productions like that just sounds so exciting and adventurous how do you know if you're a person that's capable of living this kind of lifestyle or what do you recommend people do to take that leap and live this kind of off the beaten path you know way of living well first of all i mean i think you have to have a philosophy about what you're doing Mm -hmm. i consider myself a journalist and i approach all of this in a way that you know very objective nonpartisan, just trying to tell the story and what's happening and through the people who live there or the people who are experts in that area or so forth. That's the way I approach it. But, you know, what I do is not for the faint of heart. Maybe it sounds exciting and adventurous, and I guess it is exciting and adventurous to a certain degree. But it's also, I have a nonprofit, and I have to get grants and money to support what I do. And that's probably the hardest part of what I do. And, uh, you know, I'm a nonprofit 501c3 organization, the Chronicles Group. Yeah. We have a website, by the way. I looked at it. It's a really impressive website. Well, you can get it through the chroniclesgroup.org or beyondthebrink.global. Yeah. No, it looked great. Like, it really kind of captured your body of work. It shared the message. It was, like, really usable um, for, you know, someone that's just brand new to your world. I was really impressed with it. Can you talk more about like that process of creating a nonprofit? Like what kind of person do you have to be to be running a nonprofit, to be reliant on grant funding? How do you be successful in the space of nonprofit versus making like a for-profit kind of films? Well, I think at first of all, you'd be a little crazy. (laughs) And and I think that, um, I mean, you have to know what you're doing. You know, any lawyer can set you up with a nonprofit, but our mission statement is that we try to communicate the the important issues that are confronting the 21st century. And that's the mission that I have, and I'm dedicated to that mission. And I don't think the issue is weapons of mass destruction, it's water scarcity, it's food security, it's sanitation, all the issues that are confronting the world right now. And the reasons why we have refugees, there's an overall humanitarian issue as well. And that's really important and dangerous. But weapons of mass destruction really scare me. And I think that uh, if you look at my, there's a little trailer on the on my film. It's, it's not great quality, but it's a um, seven minute excerpt from uh, the highlights of uh, the film that I did the Cold War and beyond. And uh, it kind of gives you an idea, you know, where we were in the 20th century. And that was the legacy of the 20th century was weapons of mass destruction. It all started with the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki grew from there. And we now have weapons that are many, many more dangerous than the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
And, you know, it could be a mistake by a country. It could be terrorists setting up a bomb in a big city, be anything, or India and Pakistan really getting pissed off each other. And, right. And these are the kinds of things. It could be anybody. And so we have to be careful in these conflicts that are going on right now across the world, and particularly in the Middle East. The problems that are predicted from that global trend study I talked about is going to be personified in the Middle East by 2035. And that we know now how much chaos around the Middle East. Right. So it's really a dangerous time. Why do you think people are ignoring the science of climate change and the science of the changes? Well, I, you know, it's, I think people are living their lives. They don't think about anything more than paying their bills. They are just living life. And that's why we have to instill a reality in relationship. And I think it's young people who now have to take on a much greater objective. I mean, I can't think of anything more important right now than saving humanity. Yeah, that sounds like uh, kind of what we're all in favor of. It's like we want to survive. We want to save the planet. How do you think and we I need think to... that everybody... Excuse me, I, I'm just going to say one other thing. I think it's important that everybody... Everybody's aware of this, but they can still live their lives, you know, but think in terms of the ramifications for the planet, which is so small. I mean, you've been all over the world yourself traveling. Mm -hmm. Take a look at you're traveling across the world. You realize all of a sudden you're in Thailand, you know, it's really small planet. Yeah. You can get anywhere within 24 hours, pretty much. Yeah. Thailand's about the furthest you can go from the U.S. and that's about 24 hours. But yeah, even over here, I definitely feel like Thailand feels the effects of China for sure. Like the air quality has changed drastically. Like I think on last Friday and Saturday, it rained here and there was like super blue skies on um, uh, yesterday. And then today you look outside and it's really hazy and foggy and half the people are wearing masks. Um, it's air pollution. And, and you'll find that in Beijing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or Moscow or... There's times in the San Joaquin Valley, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, we're living in a really dangerous time. And I think we can't, I need to pay, pay attention to that. And I think that's why I do my documentaries is so I can educate people and instill the realities. And if you kid in the kid in the third grade goes home after seeing a short little half hour video about something and discusses it with their mother or father, and you know, that might make a difference. You know, yeah. and kids are really special. And I think that we need to take care of those little ones. And that's, that's the important thing here. Yeah. I mean, they have to grow up and live a normal life and uh, even have normal times. Yeah, definitely. So we can't expect everybody to like, you know, become an educator on climate change and make documentaries like you have. Like you said, people have their lives that they're going on. Some people are teachers, doctors, attorneys, they're real estate agents, they're artists, they're factory workers, they're everything. How do you suggest we adjust our purposes to help in that collective contribution to climate solutions? Well, you're doing podcasts and you're obviously, you've studied film and uh, you know what you, you seem to have a purpose, what's happening and the best thing, best thing you can do is 
is to devote some of your energies to this issue, as well as other people. I mean, they're teachers, lawyers, as you mentioned, uh, you know, scientists, engineers. I mean, that's what we need to do is to say, look, we, what we have to do is a higher objective, a higher purpose. And we have to be thinking about that. And uh, how can we devote a certain amount of our time to that purpose? It could be supporting an organization, uh, can Doctors Without Borders, or you know, lawyers who happen to you know deal with these issues, these, these kinds of things. Environmental law. There's all kinds of different things that you can do. But I think as well is keeping that awareness that what is happening to the planet. And you can think about it on a local level. I mean, you may, may sit there and say, well, Jesus, what am I going to do about, you know, what's happening in, in uh, Baghdad? You know, because you may be sitting in uh, some local community, and, but that the local community, think locally. You know, mm. what can I do in my own community? Yeah, definitely. Like saying no to, to plastic bags that are unnecessary for your groceries or to get on your bicycle or to walk somewhere rather than use another, like, air polluting engine or to not run the shower way too long or when you're brushing your teeth you just brush and, and like you only use the water when you need it you don't have it running the whole time lots of things i guess is that what you're kind of referring to yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of things you can do in your very personal life as you say, dealing with issues like that saving water locally you know having an ethic uh, thinking about plastic bag and that's it to me it's a crime why these industries haven't adapted to these issues and making bags biodegradable but you know the other thing is we haven't talked about is the oceans and you know there's mining going on in the deepest part of the ocean we're dredging up the ocean so that could be the final death blow is our oceans and we've got to be careful to our it's very fragile and the planet is fragile you know, you need to be thinking about all these, all the aspects of the ocean. And, you know, I've heard stories about whales suddenly appearing on beaches and, and so full of plastics that uh, they're bloated, you know, and dying. So we have to be careful about our whole system. We have to be thinking about, again, going back to the Native American thing. The planet is our, our mother, you know. It provides everything for us. And if we don't think about it from that perspective, it's very uh, fragile, you know, so we got to take care of it. Right. From my very limited young perspective, one of the things that stands in the way of big change is just industry and money and finance. What do we need to do to like make sure that we're infusing like a purposeful engagement with our environment, but also still recognize the reality that like industries exist to make money and it's very hard to change things that are so for-profit driven like profits come before the environment for so many different large organizations what do you think about kind of that intersection you know i think about it all the time one of the things we haven't done is rebuild our infrastructure in this country that could be an economic i mean good economics i mean in other words we we need to rebuild our infrastructure and in such a way as we do it in terms of water recycling and being careful about how we approach it. Again, back to regional environmental planning. Everything is. 
Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that helps you grow on your path to purpose? The People of Purpose newsletter, or POP for short, is an email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life to help you more purposely pursue your purpose. It will include a short story, some words of wisdom to help you be more purposeful during your day, and an update on how the last guest has inspired me and how they can inspire you too. So take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com, letting us know you would like to receive the POP newsletter. Just include People of Purpose newsletter in the subject header and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. When I was going to University of Washington studying landscape architecture, one of my books was a book called Design with Nature. And Design with Nature was um, written by uh, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he designed, everything was designed in terms of how best to, you know, a roadway or a new town that was very environmentally oriented. And that's what we should be doing. In fact, I used his ideas in that impact statement that I wrote because nobody, nobody had written an impact statement before. So I, I utilized some of his way of approaching it and kind of tested it in terms of the ecological system that was in that area in Idaho. Everybody's kind of have to be adapted to thinking along those lines and rebuilding our infrastructure, doing it in an environmentally sensitive way, like uh, what was happening in Flint, Michigan and so forth. We, you know, how dare our society to put out water, create water, or generate water for the community and it's polluted, or anybody, any community. I and mean, if somebody ought to, you ought to take a look at a movie that came out called Dark Water. It's really an interesting movie. And, you know, I think we need to be concerned about these kinds of things. There was promise that our infrastructure would be rebuilt, but it hasn't been done to any great efficiency and very coherent kind of planning process. And I think that we need to do that. But we also knew we need to do it across the world. And that's the thing that I'm advocating is that we have regional environmental planning and we work within the environmental system, the ecological system, and re- recognize that there is a system, an ecological system. Yeah. We don't want to alter that system. Right. What do you think is the hardest thing you have to continually do to allow for your purpose to really manifest itself? I'm thinking like, this is totally your mission. You are consumed in this world of educating and informing people of the important issues that are confronting you know, our existence in the 21st century. What do you continually have to really dig deep um, and do maybe within yourself or within your community or for your nonprofit that allows for your purpose to like really come forward continuously? Keep hammering away. That's all I can do, you know, maybe coming up with something that's more creative or more engaging than the last one. You know, that's what I do. Can't think of any other way to do it. And I try to have an impact on public policy. I mean, that's what an approach. The, when I did Running Dry, I screened, the very first screening of it was at the Russell Senate building on Capitol Hill. At that time, the, uh, the Senate Majority Leader was Dr. Bill Frisk, who was a Republican that event had members of Congress there. 
and representatives of these people. And that ended up in the Paul, becoming the Paul Simon Water for the Poor Act, and which was implemented by uh, USAID. And that was, uh, it was called the Paul Simon Water for the Poor Act. And then later they tweaked it to make it the Paul Simon Water for the World Act. And they put millions of dollars into through USAID. I don't know if it's still, you know, it's still happening, but I don't know. There has to be a priority. And, and the Defense Department really loved that legislation because they found that building wells and doing important things out into the developing world was important. It can create really good will among people. And uh, the consequences of not doing that, having our State Department implement and USAID implementing these kinds of efforts can, uh, will save lives and will create goodwill. And I, I think it's important that we continue to, to have uh, these programs that will, will help the world. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess I have a couple more questions before we finish. I mean, these would be more like general overall questions on purpose, kind of like I just asked you. But a lot of my listeners are people that are, say, 22 to 25 years old. They have finished kind of their undergraduate studies. They're kind of jumping into the world. They're not really committed to any certain path at the, at the moment. They're looking for what that path is for them. What do they want to commit to the way you've been able to commit to this path of being like an environmental hero? What advice would you give to your 22, 25-year-old self that would make you know, the rest of your life more aligned with your purpose? I, I tell my son when he runs into a roadblock, you know, we'll take a walk on the beach, you know, listen to the wind. You know, I mean, I can't tell people what they should be doing with their lives, but have a purpose in your life, you know, whether it be spiritual or, you know, kind of a religious calling or whatever it may be. But think about how can I, how can I make the world better? I mean, it could be, you know, it, you could talk to a child, you do, do whatever it may, may be, um, you help people on death row, you know, I mean, it, it is have a purpose in life, you know, it, it's bigger, have something doing something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah, I love that answer. You look so happy as you're giving it too. That's awesome. What's a 60 second, one minute idea that you have that would change the world if everybody adopted that idea? Well, if everybody would focus and I mean, if, if I was the king of the world and yeah, that, that kind of power. But I mean, I'm just saying what we need to do is to is start implementing solutions across the world to recognize the reality of what's around the bend. And it is dire and it's brutal. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be focusing. We need to work with partnerships. We need to create partnerships. With, instead of fighting with each other, we need to start putting away those things. We have too much in common. And I mean, in across our own country, we need to stop fighting with each other. We need to start pulling together as a society. And we need to do that across the world because we need partners to do this. We not, may not agree with them. We may, may not philosophically have much in common. But at the same time, there needs to be, there are common denominators between all people. And we need to be reaching out to each other to create a better world. And we need peace. I mean, we can't afford it have these horrifying days where we turn on the TV in the morning and hear about people being killed. We need to kind of focus our energies on making the world 
safe for our own children and our grandchildren. Wow. Thank you. That's a powerful message. This is really going to resonate with me as I, you know, go out back into the world of my local community and I see different things happening. I'm around, we're all using the environment in different ways. I think it's going to help me first just be more aware and conscious of things. And then secondly, I think I'm going to be looking for some smaller ways that I can engage in being a part of a solution. Well, you are. You are doing that. I think you're contributing significantly. You have a following, obviously, and you're doing something that um, show demonstrates you have a good heart and you're working to educate people. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, I'm trying my best. And I really encourage other people to find a, some sort of medium that they can express themselves. One of mine is podcasting, obviously. Yours is documentary filmmaking. There's blogs. There's books. There's music. Like ways in which you can express yourself and teach others and bring people into your mission. I think these kind of things are really important. And they're so available to us with the internet nowadays that there's not really... I think we need to deal with reality. I mean, we sometimes don't deal with, you know, what's happening, what's ground zero. And that's really important that we deal with it. It is happening. All the things that it's all coming together in a very negative way. And we need to turn it around for our children and our grandchildren. Yeah. When we lead the turnaround, what needs to be our attitude or our ethos? Sorry to add an extra question, but I'm really curious. I see a lot of people that are trying to save things have a very angry, bitter, kind of negative demeanor around these issues, which makes so much sense. You know, you've spent years of frustration. And then on the opposite end, you have really like hippy-dippy people that have really, really positive, flowery, optimistic things to say. What do you think needs to be our disposition or our attitude towards leading the change we seek in this space? I think we need to use all the emotions, you know? I mean, I think we have reason to be pissed, all of us. Why haven't the leaders stepped up in dealing with these issues? Why are they passing it on to the next generation? I mean, how dare they? Why don't they start implementing solutions themselves? It's good economics, really, and, and you can do that. I mean, I think all the emotions that you feel are real, and you have every right to feel anger or feeling. But there are good things about the planet, too. Each other, getting to know each other and, and having a great relationships, I think, is, is important. And, uh, you know, I, I think loving each other is an important thing to do. And I mean that in a kind of a spiritual sense. And uh, and you see little children and you walk down the street in Thailand and you'll see little kids that, that are really in, that need that they could use your perspective. I mean, I always when I'm in traveling and throughout the world, I really gravitate to children and smile at them, you know, let them know that, hey, I may be different. I may be from a different culture, but I care about you. And those are the kinds of things that I've, I've always tried to be, you know, as, as Eugene Burdick, who wrote a book years ago called The Ugly American. I always felt that I, we're all diplomats, you know, in terms of dealing with the communities. And, and I just think we need to do that. I think, you know, there's a lot of great people out in the world. And I think they're all looking for something. And, uh, you know, and I just think we need to, as I say, I'm repeating myself over and over again. But I think we need to focus on what needs to be done. And that is we need to save the planet we need to bring engineers and scientists and planners 
together to implement solutions. And that's what we really need to do. And uh, where there's water scarcity in Middle East or other places, we need to kick people in the ass if they don't do the job that they're supposed to be doing, vote them out of office. I mean, those are things that really are necessary. And, uh, you know, it's our political system is in a shambles. I mean, that all the way across the world. We need to start focusing, uh, getting our leaders to focus on developing an ethic about the world, the planet, importance of the ecological system. I mean, those kinds of things. We need to do that. And if they're not focusing on these issues, you know, forget it. They're out of office. We need to do public officials. And I mean, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so much today, Jim. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. You carry so much wisdom and experience in this space that it's just such a blessing to get an hour of your time to ask you, you know, my curiosity is around this work that you do. I think so many people my age know how important this work is, but we haven't really engaged with it for 50, 60 years the way you have. So, well, the other thing too, by the way, you got to prepare yourself. You got to stay healthy. Yeah. You know, you need to stay healthy. You get, you know, work out, do things that, you know, eat healthy. Those are priorities that take care of yourself because one of the things you need to do, I mean, I, I get up, I try to get eight hours sleep. I may not get it tonight, but I get up tomorrow morning at four o'clock. I go to the gym. I work out. I try to eat healthy. Wow. I have to prepare myself to do what I do. Yeah, definitely. If you don't take care of yourself and you get tired or you get, you got to stay in good shape, good physical shape. I love that you said that. There's no excuse why people my age can't be doing some of these things that you're doing. Like, that's incredible that you're waking up at four and you're taking such good care of your health to really... You got to be disciplined. You got to be disciplined. Yeah. And you're married. You and your wife work together to be disciplined. You got to prepare yourself for the day and for the long run. Mm Mm-hmm. If you uh, fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you very much, Jim. Anything else you want to share before we sign off? No, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and I appreciate your efforts to communicate. Yeah, thank you very much. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question? Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as receive daily inspiration, follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration. I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard, and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming.